I just wanted to interrupt before we get into the into the body of this. Um, we do talk about some heavy stuff, and if at any point you feel like you need to talk to someone or you need some extra help, please call Lifeline 131 114. Hello and welcome to Flynn's Talk. Um, Jack Levitt, one half of the co-hosting duo. Well, the other half is Jeremy Gelman. Jez, welcome. Thank you yet again. Delightful to be here as always. Ready for another episode. That's it. It's uh, it's been been really fun uh, getting to to hear some some fantastic stories and and catch up with with some of the network that we've made throughout the time while we've been running Flynn's Walk. And of course, Flynn's Talk is the place where we're trying to have. The conversations. We're trying to make sure that we we fill the gap when we're not getting together, um, and hopefully sharing some stories with you that maybe you can relate to, or maybe it could, could help you um, with your own journey through life. And um, we also want to make sure we keep uh, giving plenty of voice to the vet industry and 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 the issues that are faced there. So uh, we'll, we'll keep that continuing as well. But today, Jez, um, we're diving in with a special guest who's an IUOK ambassador, and uh, she'll be joining us shortly. But our topic of the of this episode, I suppose, if you like, uh, is anxiety. Yeah, it's something. It's something a little bit different. It's Megan. Megan isn't a vet and doesn't have any association with the with the industry. But she came to us as as an Are You OK ambassador um, and wanted to tell her story about living with anxiety and how she's dealt with that and and the struggles and accomplishments that have that have come through that along the way. Yeah, that's right, Jez. And, and Megan did come to us via an are you okay email, uh, which was actually sent out to the pet lover community that, that they've got. Um, and part of Megan's recovery journey was actually uh, when her mum got her a dog, which helped her work through her agoraphobia. And uh, it, it's um, we'll, we'll dig into that as we chat to her. But Jez, what's interesting is like when you just Google well, how many people have, have anxiety in Australia um, and, and it comes up pretty much top of the list and beyond blues, you got some data there and, and and you're able to kind of just, I suppose, look at that and it gives you a starting point to understand um, just how many people might might be experiencing a similar thing in their life. And it, it's said to potentially affect on average about one in four people in Australia, anxiety specifically, and it's the most common mental health condition in Oz. Yeah, that's exactly right. And a lot of people, a lot of people feel like that they're the only ones going through this. It, it can be a very isolating and lonely um, struggle at times. And the fact is that a lot of people are going through exactly the same thing. And luckily, Megan's here and willing to share a story with us. Jez, it's time now to introduce our guest uh, for this episode, Megan Barrow, who is an Are You OK ambassador. Megan, welcome to Flynn's Talk. Thanks for coming, Megan. Hi, Jack and Jeremy. Nice, nice to be here. Thanks for coming on for a chat. Uh, I was looking at your Twitter profile, which reads, uh, from a couch with agoraphobia to telling my anxiety recovery story. That's an incredible journey, and I think it's somewhat oversimplifying what's been a really uh, long road for you. Yeah, that's what you have to do on Twitter, though, <laughs> in a bio. It's, yeah. um, it's, a very big story that I have and covers realistically, you know, I'm in my mid-40s. Um, it's really covers all my life. So I don't have a, a natural starting point of this event happened and this is what happened to me. Um, I 
always had anxiety, um, but never had a name for it. Um, just was, but hindsight's twenty twenty, and you know, I was a child of the seventies, and anxiety was not something that was ever talked about. So, even though I was probably, you know, if I was a kid today, all the signs would be there, and I would have got support. But um, so I had a very tough childhood in the sense school was very hard. Um, uh, activities were hard. I would avoid things, but I wouldn't say why. I would make excuses. I'd be sick a lot, a lot of nausea, headaches, um, little things that I wish I had have known that I gave up on things like I didn't continue sports or, you know, I'd just be so worried about letting people down. So, um, in by the age of 14, I was having my first suicidal thoughts. Um, that was more situational and um, uh, for the grace of God, it was really my anxiety that inhibited me from wanting to do anything, but I wanted to do something, but I was so scared of what might happen. So, you know, I do thank my anxiety for that. Um, sort of sort of moseyed on through my teens. By my late teens, I had my first panic attacks, which I had no idea what they were. Um, I thought I was having heart attacks, went to seven doctors over a couple of years and no one diagnosed me with a panic attack um, or anxiety. Uh, they progressively got worse. I mean, I continued with life, but they can they continued to get worse. And then with a the personal drama, unable to cope. I was having them more and more frequently, had a breakdown. And by the age of 24, I was living a life of agoraphobia and uh, was so scared to to move from a couch, thinking something would happen to me that I would die. So I lived in isolation and um, fear for close to three years. Um and sort of stumbled my way back into the real world. So in that time, obviously, during agoraphobia, I also had suicidal thoughts and um, managed to think of some siblings um, and that I wanted to – I had some very young half-siblings and I wanted to hang around for them to see them grow up, which I have. And um, so I sort of feel – like there were a few things that I sort of clung on to and had that resilience sort of built in to sort of not give up, even though I didn't really know what that was at the time. So um, took probably a good 10 years um, of recovery that there were times where I was living on my own, working um, post-agoraphobia, but was still very... Um, safe and wouldn't go out and would have excuses so my so my life would just be getting to work and home and that would be panic driving and and it's in the last 10 years I've really found the right um approach and um yeah with great support and professional help, um, right medication for me, which is really important for me. And um, yeah, living a wonderful life and now do this stuff and, and advocate for mental health. And that's it. It's so great that you've turned what was essentially a struggle that you had for so long into your lo- in your life into something that 
you can you can help other people with through your ambassadoring with are you okay and beyond blue that you're really sort of giving back with with what you've gone through yeah and um it certainly gives me a purpose and even though it can be incredibly hard and incredible emotional um incredibly emotional because i really i'm one of those brains which is i think a fairly um usual trait of anxiety i'm very creative my mind is very vivid, so I do go back and relive some of those feelings. Uh, it's got easier, but it's still like revisiting really difficult times. And yep. but it really gives me a purpose. And I know that with every talk or media or radio or interview, that I know I've changed someone's life. And um, and because I've had it for so long and had such a my my story is such a roller coaster. It really also gives that perspective for people that feel like, oh, hang on, everyone seems to have recovered and I haven't. Well, sometimes it takes many shots at it yeah. and then you build up that resilience yep. and know you can That's do it. It's the journey. It is a journey. And for Are You Okay? It obviously gives that perspective of, hey, this is serious. This is why Are You Okay? And, and, and asking the question is so important. Yeah. And as you said, it's it's talking, it's having this open conversation that people like you who grew up with anxiety and it wasn't talked about, didn't know what was going on nowadays, hopefully talking about it more, people can get the help they need sooner and and sort of live better lives. I want to go back to that, Jez, actually, just um, for you, Megan, being a young girl and then, and then being um, in your teens and then moving into your 20s, did you find yourself creating almost sort of excuses or fend-offs, defence mechanisms for way of telling other people that, um, you know, oh, I've got a sore tummy or, or I'm not feeling too good today. Like, did you find yourself uh, in a strange kind of way almost becoming very creative with the way that you, you deflected it or, or were you more more shut off? Did you shut yourself away more entirely? What, how did you go about that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, a bit of both. Um, but... In retrospect, I much more shut myself off. Even something like things that are just so wild that I think, how did no one come and ask, am I okay, or that there's something wrong? Like my sister's 21st. She's 20 months younger than me and I was great at the beginning and then all of a sudden I couldn't cope and I have no, had no idea what was going on. I'm 22 and I put myself to bed and I'm hearing all these people going out and all I did was cry, thinking, why aren't I out there? I had no idea why I'd hidden myself in my bedroom and put my pyjamas on and went to bed and this is meant to be a party. Um, yeah. And even I bumped into someone I went to school with um, just by chance a couple of weeks ago and we, we were talking about about this and she has a personal situation she's going through with anxiety and um we're talking about how I lost so many connections and friends and we didn't have online in those days like 1990 there's no Facebook to sort of or text messaging to because that would have been wonderful for me but I was too scared to call people and she said I always wondered why you never called me like I tried a few times and then you never called me and I just gave up and thought it was very strange and I said that was my anxiety so and you and because I didn't have a name like it took having a breakdown and ha- being agoraphobic and essentially diagnosing myself 
that and getting books and realizing, oh, this is what I've gone through my whole life. Like, um, it's yeah, when you don't have a name, it's very hard to even communicate why you're not going out or what you're feeling. You sometimes don't even know what what you're going through. So I think that's changing a lot now, which is great. I think my fear is that there's almost a little bit too over diagnosis that you know too many kids think they have anxiety and it's just nerves so I think we really need to be careful in some language and making sure everyone doesn't diagnose young people with anxiety it's amazing how many people have anxiety now it's like it's like oh you have anxiety do you it's like didn't seem anyone did 20 years ago so I don't know yeah it's sort of that fine line but it's wonderful that we're talking about it now well yeah it's important to sort of understand the distinction of having I mean anxiety is part of everyday life but it's when it becomes an anxiety disorder and when you when it becomes more than just a bit of nerves or a bit of stress about something that you actually need to seek further treatment for it yeah and beyond blue have a great you know their their description is when it doesn't ease so I I um you know and they do have um, time frame. Same with depression. It's not just a day of sadness and it's not just a day of nerves. It's like weeks and it's consistent and you start changing your life accordingly and yeah. that the feelings don't pass and that was me. And so it wasn't, you know, one of the greatest experiences now is that I can get up in front of 100 people and tell my story and it's terrifying but I get up there and say, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's terrifying for anyone. So, um, but I know that in an hour it's done and I'll feel better. So now I have yeah. that, you know, and teaching people with anxiety, that's the biggest freedom I, I tell people is learning that the feelings do pass. Even if you're really, you know, even if you're agoraphobic, you can only have 10 out of 10 anxiety for a certain time and it has to drop. Even if it's five and it still feels crappy, you're not always in that 10 out of 10. So realising that, that, that the feelings do move with you and to sort of start sort of embracing when it starts dropping. It's amazing for you to have that kind of um, the, the hindsight now that you can bring to that situation um, and the way that you can even just your, your own self-awareness with, with that journey. Um, well on to you for, for, being, for being able to speak to people um, in larger groups about that now because I, I can't I can only imagine how powerful it must be for people that need to hear that um so well done um I want to thank you talk about your mum getting you a dog to help you get out a little bit more so what, that was a, some time ago yeah so that was when I was in the midst of agoraphobia and the dog yeah sadly passed on 10 years ago, but um, (laughs) I'd always grown up, pets have always been so important to me and my life is growing up with two dogs and two cats. That's sort of what I remember from a toddler. So um, so we had a rotation (laughs) of animals coming and going. Um, But in that time frame, we had uh, German Shepherds and um, they had passed on and uh, when I had agoraphobia, we had a Labrador, but I was, why can't I get a German Shepherd? I mean, the fact that I wasn't leaving the house was <laughs> it was just me sort of wanting yeah. another dog. Um, Mum decided to surprise me and get me a German Shepherd puppy. I had no idea. She walked in with my sister and this German Shepherd puppy and 
um, she said, this is to help you. I'm hoping this will help you get out of the house. So at this point, I had trouble even checking the mail. So I'd be at home alone. So just the simplest tasks, I would, I would avoid vacuuming, thinking I would have a heart attack vacuuming. That's the amount of exertion that I thought could kill me. Um, and just leaving the yeah. house, I just imagined collapsing and no one would find me and I'd be gone. So, um, and I still so vividly remember within an hour or so, and it was dark, it was winter, and mum saying, I think she needs to go out. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to take her out the backyard. And I still, to this day, I just have the clearest memory of letting her out and clinging onto the wall of the house and not moving beyond it, but to that's how terrified I was that I was just clinging onto the wall for stability. And um, I can't even remember what she did, like if she w- went too far, but I remember thinking, don't go down the back of the backyard. Yeah. But that's how petrified I was just stepping a couple of um, steps out the door. Um, and then very slowly along with, I was starting to get really good help at that point too. So she became part of my exposure therapy of learning how to walk to the end of the street and having a dog with me, kept me company and also gave me a purpose of, of getting out and even just the toilet training, you know, I got used to having to go out with her, you know, over four weeks or six weeks, whatever it was that, um, you know, and slowly sort of went further away so it did work um it just gave me a sense of purpose and mum was tough that she was I'm not doing it she's your dog which was tough love really tough love so um yeah so she was um she was a pretty special gift amazing amazing uh gear change in your life and and um we've been something we've been um looking to talk about a lot is that important role that pets can play and continue to play in people's lives for a whole manner of reasons. Um, is there, have you got any furry friends now? Yes, I've got a cat, a rescue cat, mm-hmm. Lilac. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. I, nice name. She was named but perfectly because she's a lilac cat, <laughs> lilac colour, lilac grey. Um, and she's, right. ironically, she has her own set of anxiety. So <laughs> I think <laughs> we sort of look at each other. And I was like, I can see you're panicking here. And she's got sort of torn off fur on her back, which she still overlicks. And so she had a really tough start to life. And I feel like, oh. Um, you have a shared understanding. I have a very shared understanding and frustration with her that I feel like saying, if you only understood that everything's okay. <laughs> so, which is probably what my mum used to think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so she's, and I've got this story, like I was, I actually posted it on Instagram, ironically, a couple of weeks ago where it was the anniversary of when I got her and that a few months after I got her, I, I dipped in my mental well-being, and I remember bawling my eyes out having some suicidal thinking and looking at her and thinking, darn it, I have to stick around because I can't leave you. Yeah, they can be quite incredible supports without yeah. without even actually doing anything. They can just a simple look or a little nuzzle or something like that. 
that can mean the world. Just being responsible that, mm, you know, yeah. I thought you've been through so much, I can't leave you now. You're just settling yeah. in. I'm going to have to, you know, you need to be fed in the morning. Like just the the practicality of having a responsibility. Yeah. They're just yeah. – and animals have always – when I was – at my worst in agoraphobia, you know, I have memories of lying on the ground and an animal, you know, one of four of them <laughs> would would come up and nuzzle me or, you know, you know, they have a great, great intuition, especially some more than others, but it's, yep, you know, even I've had yep. cats that are like dogs. So, um, but even just grabbing them and I mean, lilac is still <laughs> that for me. I live alone and, you know, every now and then if I sort of feel like, Mm. The middle of, I mean, the middle of the night can be a really lonely time if you're feeling yeah. not great. And I just go and find her if she's not on my bed and grab yep. her. And yeah. I'm like, this is your job. Yep. <laughs> this is your job love. to cuddle me. <laughs> you get the purr going. And it's just that other sense of something awesome. else next to you is really comforting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite incredible. It's quite incredible yep. what animals can do for us. Changing, changing tact a little bit. Um, it would be kind of remiss if we didn't talk about what's going at the moment. We're in the midst of the coronavirus global pandemic. Um, and I just want to touch on, obviously, that's making people more stressed, more anxious, uh, more worried and uncertain about the future and what that will bring um, and sort of how you've been managing with that, how, how sort of if there's any tips for people to manage yeah, um, really big question that, and I think we're all yeah, yeah it and is I a think big we're um, no, it's a good question. I think we're all grappling with that, but I ironically think I've got resilience and sort of you know my attitude is I've been through worse than this. So, um, and I mean my actual problem is that it can be too easy for me to bunker in and. Um, Zoom catch up with people or talk on the phone or text. So, and it's so nice and quiet in the streets, and it's like, oh, this is going to be different when it all returns. So, um, look, my tip is to I think the biggest thing is I think it depends if you have anxiety already or a mental health issue already or not. Because um, I know I would be freaking out if this was happening when I was at my worst. So it is that perspective of if it happens to you, the chances are you're going to be okay. So there's that perspective of if you're healthy, that doesn't mean that, you know, you shouldn't be concerned about it. But reality is it's, you know, one of the, the recovery tools for anxiety is to look at the facts. So to do a fact check. So I would be, I think I'm going to have a heart attack when I walk out the door. Well, what's the evidence of that? I've got chest pains and I'm having trouble breathing, but has it ever happened before? Well, no, but say I collapsed. Well, have you ever collapsed before? Oh, I fainted twice. Okay, well, but you knew that was, you know, so actually going through and sort of saying, but what's the evidence? So with COVID, we know that even though it's, an, you know, a high death rate, the survival rate is 99% or whatever it is. They're still working that out. So even if you get it, 99% chance is you're going to be fine. So it's sort of getting that perspective if you have a mental health issue and worried about the actual virus. Um, but being connected is really important, which obviously are you okay are very strong about, well, all and beyond blue. That, um, And it's I think we're realising 
I actually hope this gives people, this period gives people some perspective of what it's like to be isolated and alone and to have your life disrupted and that it doesn't have to be anything huge to keep connected. So um, I just hope people keep that perspective of, gee, it would be tough if I wasn't well and I had to stay at home for whatever reason to maybe I should check in with X, Y, Z. Um, so, cause I'm actually noticing more people are checking on me at the moment, ironically. So, which is great also. Um, I think just keeping, um, you know, I often say to keep a list of things that you enjoy. I think we're a little bit, people can be a little bit dogmatic about what you should do if you're not feeling great, you know, exercise and all, and they're all great. But if you're in a position of, you know, uh, God bless her. An auntie said to me when I was in the midst of agoraphobia, just go for a walk around the block. Well, I can't do that. So <laughs> I yeah, can't that's, leave that's that. A, that's a great I get your point, but that's simplifying <laughs> yeah, it too much. Not so, entirely helpful. Exactly. So <laughs> I like to break things down, you know, and give, you know, if it's for me, music is um, a salvation. So I've got, you know, I still listen to my iPod with my iTunes set up and listen to my favourite songs in my library, um, putting on a TV show, putting up, you know, now we've got streaming, those things are really accessible. Draw, write down your feelings. Writing is very therapeutic and it's one of those things I sort of lapse on, but just writing out how you're feeling. That actually, I remember panicking on a tram in Melbourne, um, probably two years ago, it was one of those 40 degree days. And I thought, I'm just going to jot down how I'm feeling for a potential blog. And behold, within two minutes, I was feeling better because distracting the mind is really important. And even even the sort of reading it back to yourself and having that other perspective yeah. can make it seem like, oh, this this doesn't really sound like it's so bad. Yeah. Or it's that resilience of, oh, it's actually okay. That does sound bad, yeah. but I was actually yeah. okay. So, yeah, you know, when exactly. you feel like you can't breathe and your chest is hurting, but, oh, I, that was fine. It was clearly just a panic attack. So yeah. amazing what the mind can make your body do. Yeah. But there's even something in there to talk about the fact that you um, can almost document how you're feeling and offer your own perspective five or ten minutes later or an hour later, however long it might take or as short as it might take. You're you're being, you're sort of playing devil's advocate with yourself immediately after it sounds like yeah because it's very hard to especially when you're in a panic attack um, you're flustered that's part of the your brain freezes so part of that's what one of the big things I learned was distracting so you know my doctor would say right you're going to be on a tram now and this is the first time you've jumped on a tram so what can you do what do you want to do to dis- to distract yourself do you want to look for colors of flowers in in the homes that you go by or how about you count backwards from a thousand by three try doing that and panicking like (laughs) you get to 997 it's like what's next um so it's a mate but and it's hard and you get angry at having to do the task but it does distract you so um it's writing and sometimes a friend suggested this to me years and years ago to just even have a list of things so it's sitting there and because sometimes you do forget what you actually enjoy doing and it's you know for me something like drawing and I never do it but I actually enjoy it when I do it why don't I sort of or go out and garden or even just step outside especially on a sunny day it's amazing taking your your shoes off and 
and having your feet in grass can be really grounding. Me looking up into a tree and and thinking, you know, I have that perspective of I couldn't, you know, me just walking and seeing trees, I still find majesty in it. Or every time I go into the city, I see, I think, how beautiful is this city? You know, it's trying to tap back into the beauty that's around you, which sounds very corny, but if you sort of just meditate on that, meditation is something a lot of people talk about. That wasn't, you know, again, these things can be tougher and if they if things work for you, that's fantastic. But I think we have to be a bit gentler that not everyone, not it's not an ABC process for people and it's tapping into what helps you. Of course, ways. yeah. I mean, there's that many tips out there and there's that many strategies, but at the end of the day, if it's not something you want to do or not something that works for you, then you're not going to keep doing yeah, it. Yeah, but that's exactly – and when you're suffering and at your worst, the last thing you want to feel like is a failure because you already feel like a failure. So anytime something doesn't work, you're like, it's me. And it's not you. You just haven't found the right thing. For you, I mean, it's a bit like finding, well, it's like finding a partner or finding the right exercise for you or training or whatever it might be. The, you know, sometimes it takes a number of shots to get it right. So um, to be kind on yourself, but don't, but not to give up. Love it. That's awesome. Uh, I want to just quickly talk about, um, you mentioned your aunt saying, well, why don't you just go for a walk around the block? Um it's not like that simple, um, Auntie Mary or Auntie June or whoever it might be. Um, but Better what, not mention her. <laughs> what, can people do? <laughs> what, can, um, what can people do who, who have a, if there's a friend or a family member that's, that's got anxiety and, and has, has been open about that? What can you say? What can you do? What, what is helpful? For starters, I obviously, as you've mentioned, I'm an ambassador with are you okay? And I think their fourth steps are brilliant and I'm so proud to sort of be part of their team to help spread their message. Um, And in general, just the four steps of asking someone how they're doing, um, listening without judgment, that's a big thing. It's not, oh, but why are you anxious or why are you upset about that? I got through it X, Y, Z. Be really careful. Yeah, it's not helpful. Um, Just listen. And that can be incredibly helpful just to have someone listen to you and feel like that, that you're being heard and not being questioned and that your your feelings are being validated, just by silence can be validating your feelings. Um, to encourage some action, so to, you know, whether that's to get um, professional help or to go for a walk with someone or can I pop over or do you, you know, if it goes from a text to do, I, do you need to actually talk, do you need me to visit, whatever it might be, um, or go and buy some flowers for yourself or put on, a show or whatever it might be and then the fourth step is to check back in later whether that's in an hour's time in a day's time in a month's time whatever you think is appropriate because that not all not only can round back into them needing to be asked are you okay and go through the process again but if you're feeling isolated and lonely and a failure and someone sort of asks how you are and you feel better for it and then they never check in again, you go back to thinking, well, they clearly don't care. Yeah. 
it really, I really am on my own. Yeah. So, um, so the, those four steps are really important. A lot of people don't realise there's actually four steps to the are you okay message. Um, in terms of if someone's actually having a panic attack or feeling really anxious, I think the biggest thing I would do, try and distract them. My sister's very good at this. Even, you know, occasionally I'll still have, uh, you know, she's we've been at a music gig and, I've, I've walked out and, you know, um, she's very good without even realising, just asking me what I need. And that's so frustrating because I don't want to answer her, but just having a conversation, anything, you know, to distract the mind. So try and get them talking, even if it's about their feelings, but just try, you, you need to try and circuit break the, the panic attack. Um, if that you know, and it might be, so again, this goes into what's right for them. Sometimes it's someone may want to leave a situation. Sometimes people just want to stay in and have you hold their hand. Um, so it's very dependent on the situation and the person. Um, so the asking is a big one for me, I think, if what would be helpful, but try and encourage the what can I do to help I know even like my, the one area that I'm still not good at is driving and um, I'm okay around my area but I avoid doing anything major on major roads. And um, But when I've tried to do it in the past and I, you know, and red lights, it's the intersections that really get me. If I'm stuck at a red light and there's three lanes, I'm a goner. Um, I shouldn't say that, but <laughs> I tend to panic. <laughs> I shouldn't give that. Um, but, and I've had people when I've said, even my mum can be bad at this, I'll be saying I'm panicking or even my sister, I'm panicking, I, I'm starting to panic because that's what I will say now. Yep. And they go silent. And it's mm. like, no, that's not helpful. Talk, yeah. do something, yeah, talk, yeah. talk. Get me talking yep. about anything other than this feeling. So... Um, so that's another big tip. But um, so, and they're the likely, don't take it personally if they get snappy. I get very snappy when I'm anxious because, again, your, your brain is, it's almost like, well, it's adrenaline. So imagine, I don't, I don't know, think about if you're parachuting and someone wanted to ask you a question mid, as, just as you're about to jump out the, the plane. Yeah, I don't imagine that would go down well. That's essentially yep. what you're going through. Yeah. So your adrenaline. I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't be parachuting. <laughs> you would probably say shut yeah. up. So so be okay with that too. And that not that's just the adrenaline kicking in, and um, they might get snappy, but that's just the panic and the anxiety talking. So yeah, it's about not taking it personally and understanding that it's not necessarily about you. It's about what they're feeling and and you're just the person they're directing that towards. Yeah. And the biggest thing I sort of try and do, and I try and do it with every presentation, but even just lots of conversations I have with people I know that they'll say, my child has anxiety, I just don't get it. Like one conversation I'll ha I had um, a couple of years ago, he said, oh, I'm not good with my daughter. I'm just terrible. My wife's much better. I just don't get it. When she won't get up and go to the school in the morning, I just get really angry. And I yeah. said, okay, well, let's um, let's try and think. You know, you obviously know that she's going. He's like, yeah, but I just don't get it. And I said, is there anything you're scared of? Anything. Do you have a phobia? And he said, oh, I'm scared of snakes. He's like, no, no needles. I'm terrified of needles. If I know I have to have a needle or injection, I 
panic. I yep. am anxious for days. I said, okay, so your your daughter's reality is that she has to have an injection every day. And it flipped his mind of, oh, that's what she's going through. I said, yeah. So I think having that empathy of what would I need in this situation can also help. It's irrelevant whether you, if you've never had a panic attack, panic attack, you're lucky. If you've never had major anxiety that can't ease, but I think we've all had a situation where we're nervous, whether we've had to do a public talk, had to go up, you know, if you're scared of heights, you have to go up a third story and, you know, have to go in an elevator, whatever it might be. We've all had something we've been nervous about. There's very few people that haven't been hit by nerves. So try and think what would have been helpful to me in this situation and then you start getting... A bit more of an understanding. Yeah, it's that empathy factor. But ultimately everyone's a bit different and... um, And so going on from that, you spoke a little bit about your sister and about your family and sort of that support network around you and sort of how important they can be. Yeah, incredibly supportive. And I mean, and that's something I'm during, doing during COVID, that during this lockdown, that normally I would, you know, my mum and I are very close and she doesn't mind me saying it's taken a lot of training to get her to a point of, you know, understanding. And she's had, to, you know, a lot of really honest conversations. But we talk probably twice a week. Um, or if I need to, or vice versa, but she lives alone and we've just made a pact that we're going to speak to each other every day. It's amazing, and this is again why I just adore Are You OK? It's the realisation that just one person can make a, a difference to, you know, and, and um, you know, sadly you both have been touched by suicide and it's nothing that you can, you know, sometimes there's nothing you can do. Um, but the, the, the driver and the starting point for Are You Okay? So special of that it was started by a guy who lost his father to suicide and wondered if I had have just checked in that night, would have that changed his mind. And, um, and it's not about taking ownership or guilt, but it's just knowing that connections really do matter ultimately you know, even if we enjoy being alone or single or whatever it might be, there are times where you need someone to sort of lean on. And um, my mum and sister, my sister especially during agoraphobia was incredible. My mum had more trouble with it and we've talked about that, that, you know. But also as I, I, I stated that we didn't know what I was really going through. So there weren't the support system. Yeah. I mean, Beyond Blue wasn't even around then there was just nothing uh, no one was talking about it um and in fact um the only touch point I had was and I don't know if you two might be a bit young for this but when Gary McDonald had a, a breakdown on essentially he was doing a tv show Norman Gunston he'd returned this show and he all of a sudden disappeared and mm. he was the first person I ever heard talk about having anxiety yep. and I was like wow I'm not alone yeah um, but yeah, my sister was incredible and was always that touch point. If I needed to call someone, my boyfriend at the time who, who we broke up, but he remained one of my biggest supporters for another year or so. He was incredible. Um, just having someone checking in on you just makes you feel mattered. Yeah. I think, I think people underestimate, underestimate that, that it can be something so simple that can really mean a difference to someone who is struggling. Yeah. 
And that's what I say in presentations, that even just someone sending a silly picture or a video, they don't even have to say anything, but it's like that person's thought of me to send me that today. Just something as simple as that Um, because I know we all get busy and I'm just as guilty of I need to get in contact with someone and I'm just not in the right headspace or, you know, and it's so simple to just send a text. But sometimes you you do, you get sidetracked or whatever, but it's just knowing that that can make such a difference that, um, and I think the other thing is, um, you know, I do a lot of presentations at workplaces that don't assume that people have someone. Like it's amazing how often I can have days, you know, I work from home. If I haven't spoken to a client, I can have days where I haven't spoken to anyone. And if I'm feeling a bit low, that feeling of uh, maybe I don't matter, I haven't heard from anyone, um, can sort of set in. And it's and it only happens when you're feeling a bit low. And that's the thing that um, this is an illness and, you know, but we've all had moments, most people can identify with that too, feeling a moment of loneliness, whether it's situational or whatever. Um, and just think how important was it that you had X, Y, Z yeah, exactly. in, yeah. in your life? Yeah, don't leave it to someone else to check in. You do it yourself and and make that first leap. Yeah, don't assume, like we don't know what's going behind closed doors. You don't, don't assume they've got a good family. Yeah. You know, I have issues in my family, so don't you know? Don't assume that that um, they've got a support network. Don't assume they've got a partner or kids. Or if it's a stranger that I'm talking to about, are you you know that I need to have the check in message, whether it's a presentation or whatever. Um, I always one of the first questions is, do you have support at home? And even if they do have that, it, that that isn't isn't always a form of support for them. Correct. That's why I ask support. So, you know, if they have the wife at home, yeah. you know, I remember having a conversation, I have a wife, is she supportive? Well, no, she just doesn't get it. So, okay, so what's the next? Is there someone else or do we need to sort of put something in place for you? Yeah. Well, uh, Megan, it, it can take one conversation to change your life and it can take one person to make a difference and you're choosing to be that person and have those conversations. So, well done to you and, and uh, for everything you've been through and helped others get through. Um, and thanks for being a guest on Flynn's Talk. And for sharing your story. It's been, yeah, it's been incredible. Oh, my pleasure, guys. And well done with the work that you guys are doing. And when this is all over, maybe we can catch up for a coffee or something and I'll definitely um, support you guys and be at one of your walks. Love it. We hope to see you there. We'll be. I will be there. very much looking forward to that Jez and uh, it was great to have Megan as part of Flynn's talk and uh, if you are interested in becoming an Are You OK ambassador we didn't cover that off with Megan but um, they they often are, are looking for new people to join and, and you can contact um, Are You OK via their website and if you can't get through to them for whatever reason um, you're welcome to hit us up on our, our Facebook page Flynn's Walk and um, we can we can put you in touch uh, we've actually got one of our own Are You OK ambassadors who, who's donned the yellow shirt, Jez, after being at the walks um, in, in Kathy, who's actually a vet. Uh, we're looking forward to having a chat to her at some stage on the podcast too, but um, it's a really uh, fulfilling thing to get involved with if it's something you feel like you'd like to do. Jez, uh, as always, we like to just remind people quickly that 
There's support services out there. Are you okay? Of course, have some great resources on their website, but there's some other great phone numbers and, and places to visit as well. That's exactly right. Are you okay? Is there? They have a lot of information on anxiety and and dealing with anxiety, and also how to approach talking to people with anxiety and asking those those are you okay questions. So head over there, um, and there's plenty of stuff to download and read up. There's also Beyond Blue who have a lot of great um, info. There's Kids Helpline and Headspace if you're if you're under 25. If you are in a crisis or if you feel like you need urgent help, there's always Lifeline out there. You can call them on 131 114. You can call the Suicide Callback Service or if you feel it's an emergency, please call 000. Excellent work, Jez. It's been a pleasure chatting with you again and uh, there'll be many more of these to come hopefully as, as we push on through the rest of 2020. Thanks for your time. We'll be chatting again very soon. Will do. Speak to you in the next one.